0: Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, welcome! It's great to see all of you. And if you're visiting, we're really glad you're here. And uh, and for those online, good morning. Hope you're having a, a great morning. Um, Before I get into my talk, I just wanna bring something to your attention. Uh, Typically once a month, we take communion together as a church family. Uh, Then on the other weekends, we encourage you to take it on your own. We have tables at the front and the back. And we've had people over the months and years say, hey, what are those verses again? What do we say when we take communion? And so at every table, what you can see there on the screens, we have these really cool communion cards. It has the scripture out of Luke 22 on the night he was betrayed. So when you go to take communion today, grab one of those cards. You can use it, of course, when we gather. You can use it at home with your family. But we just wanted to make that available. Isn't that cool? And we got these cards cheaper because they're in German. So... uh, (laughs) Deutsch sprechen, huh? Okay, so uh, this is the final week. I better get going. I don't know. I feel so... There's a silliness in the room today, which is great. <laughs> oh. <laughs> A2, Allison. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're on TV. This is the final week of our Living in a Foreign Land, a look at the Life of Daniel series. And if you missed any, please go to our website, vcdc.org. You can catch up on those. And it's crazy to think that next weekend, I'm going to be uh, kicking off our Advent series, which means it's 36 days till Christmas, which is the stress level just went up. But we're going to wrap up this series by looking at a very familiar Bible story, uh, Daniel in the Lion's Den, which is found in Daniel 6. And when I looked at the preaching schedule for this series, I quickly realized that, hey, I think my two talks are kind of similar. Uh, My first talk was a few weeks ago, Daniel 3, story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. They obey God and not the king, and they're thrown into the fiery furnace, but God protects them, and the story has a happy ending. Sort (laughs) Sort of like Daniel 6, where Daniel obeys God and not the king, he's thrown into a lion's den, And God protects him, and the story has a happy ending. So I thought uh, of doing the same sermon and just changing the names and forms of execution. Uh, I thought, they'll never know. It's been a few weeks. Uh, But then uh, it dawned on me that, yeah, these stories are similar, but there are some differences, some very important differences that I want to look into a little bit. So uh, let me set it up this way. In Daniel 3, Daniel and his three friends are teenagers. Uh, uh, fresh into their captivity in the foreign land of Babylon. Um, But in Daniel 6, we learned this last week, Heather was talking about this. Daniel is now in his 80s. And we don't know where the three lads are. I'm sure they're around somewhere. Uh, But Daniel's in his 80s, and he's now spent the majority of his life uh, serving multiple pagan kings. And another way to put that would be he's been working in Babylon's White House for for multiple administrations. In Daniel 3, we read lots of dialogue between the three lads uh, and the king. Whereas in Daniel 6, we only hear once from Daniel. And it's near the end of the story. Most of what we see in chapter 6 is really how other people saw and experienced uh, Daniel, whether it was some of his peers, political peers that he worked with, or the king. We see how Daniel's life, His character and his faith impacted those around him. And even though he lived in a foreign land with a foreign culture uh, surrounded by foreign people, it's really clear in the story that Daniel, he was involved in the culture. He lived there. He worked there. But at the same time, he stayed very true uh, to his Jewish faith. And that reminds me, if you were here the first weekend, Andrew... I don't know if this was original, Andrew, but Andrew uh, said this, as Christians living in a foreign land, we are called to mix in, but not blend in. Do you remember that? And, and so I was thinking about that and I thought, okay, let's, let's, let's pretend for a little bit. Imagine if all of us in the room here, if, imagine if we were taken into captivity. Let's say, uh, let's say Canada invades Ohio. <laughs> okay, I know, I know, it's a, it's a story. But and and so we're we're all taken and we're now foreigners living in the foreign land of Ontario, and uh, if we had a choice, and this would be human nature, if we had the choice, we would stick together, we wouldn't mix in, we would have a you know we would live in a part of town, a little neighborhood we'd call Little Ohio. Uh, in which we uh, keep to our own Buckeye ways and you know, not mixing in with those crazy Canucks. And, 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 but then let me ask this, one, but what if, what if it was God's plan for us to go into captivity into Ontario, which sounds goofy. What if it was God's plan for us to live in a foreign land? And uh, in 597 BC, the Israelites go into captivity in Babylon. And soon after that, the prophet Jeremiah, who is back in Jerusalem, he writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon, and and this letter has a word from God, and it says this, and I find this very interesting, Jeremiah 29.4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, listen to this, says to all those I carried into exile. This is God speaking. I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which here it is again. I have carried you into exile. pray to the Lord, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now one of the reasons why we decided to do this Daniel series at this time is because our our culture, our America is, is changing so quickly and increasingly it looks like and feels like we uh, are living in a, in a foreign land. But like in the story, because you and I are alive and here at this time in history, uh, I have to believe that it's God's plan, that it's God's choice that we are here now and that he has placed us here uh, at this time to live out our lives in this increasingly foreign land, just like, just like Daniel did. And there's no indication in the story that Daniel ever got back home to Jerusalem meaning he spent uh, you know, his entire life, most of his life in a foreign land, just like, just like we will. So uh, with that in mind, I wanna draw out from the story some reminders, some examples from Daniel of just how to live, how we are to live in a foreign land. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. So Lord, thank you for, uh, just thank you for a new day. And I pray that today would, be, would not feel like a routine Sunday. Uh, I pray that your presence here would, would uh, just bring a freshness uh, to this time. Lord, would you come and move among us as, as we've gathered here? We welcome you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can follow along uh, Daniel 6 <clears throat> uh, on the screens or in your Bibles. Verse one says this. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, well, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, which I question, (laughs) that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Okay, so uh, the Medes led by King Darius, they've invaded Babylon, they've taken it over. And to rule over uh, his new domain, he's appointed 120 satraps, and you can think of them as uh, like governors, state governors. And to oversee those governors, he appoints three administrators. Daniel's one of them. And their primary job is to keep an eye on these governors so that that the king might not suffer loss, that they might not be stealing from the king. It says that Daniel so distinguished himself over all the others that the king was planning to set him over the whole kingdom. That does not sit well with the other administrators, the other governors, who really, they look at Daniel like, who is this old Jewish guy, this foreigner living among us that you would pick him. So they go to Darius with what seems like a, to us, maybe a bizarre idea. Hey, King, uh, we think it's time for a Darius Appreciation Month. And, uh, and it's, again, it's bizarre to us, but in a culture where they would had multiple idols and multiple small G gods, uh, it was not at all bizarre to pray to or worship uh, the King. And I'm sure Darius thought, hey, Kind of a cool idea, and, uh, and maybe this will help cement my rule over this newly conquered nation, so he agrees. So I'm going to look at three points of, again, setting up that context, three points of how Daniel, just how he lived in this foreign land. So number one is this. In a foreign land, we are being watched. And this is not a, this is not a conspiracy theory, but what I mean is this. Until we die and go to heaven, or until Jesus comes back, and takes us to heaven, Uh, we're gonna live out our lives in this foreign land. And the Bible teaches that where we live right now, Sunbury, Ohio, America, planet Earth, that, that this is not our home, that we are foreigners here, uh, and and when, I look at the, when I look at our lives, this side of heaven, I've often thought it would be so much easier if I were God, uh, but he hasn't asked my opinion on this, but it would be so much easier if once a person said yes to Jesus, I would just, whoop, I'd just take them up to heaven so they don't have time to mess it up. But, but that's, and I'm, not, I'm just thinking of myself. But that's not God's plan. And so like Daniel, we get to live out our lives in this foreign land. And I believe one of the reasons why God leaves us here is so that we can be a light to people in this dark world. It sounds simple, but it's, it's, I think this is our, one of our primary uh, jobs on planet Earth is to help people find their way to Jesus. First Peter 2.11, says, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans, people who don't yet know Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, this is really cool to me. Uh, this scripture, and really a lot of verses in the Bible, tell us that as Christians, uh, we are being watched. In fact, I would say it's, it's God's plan that we would be watched, that people would see our good deeds, and because of them, they'd be, their hearts would be stirred towards God. In the story, or and or one, one of the primary places we are watched, like in the story, is at work. We're, who in this room has a job? Who works in a job? What do the rest of you do? Okay, no, that's great. <laughs> Three people, okay. No, a lot of you, a lot of you. So this is very applicable and I'll keep going. So in the story, Daniel was such a good worker that the king was gonna promote him to the whole, you know, to, over the whole kingdom. And notice that what gave him favor with the king, what gave Daniel favor with the boss, gave him disfavor with his fellow employees. And, and I've experienced this. I remember years ago working for a company uh, back in Canada and, uh, and it was a very strong union, lots of, you know, tension, friction between the union and management. And, and I remember that there was like this this strange peer pressure to, uh, uh, to not buck the system. And really, it was a system of trying to stick it to management. It was a system of, it was a very dishonest system. And I know working there, I found it hard at times. Hard, because uh, it made me stick out, not always for, you know, for the right reasons in my heart, but not in the eyes of others. But I found it hard not to give in to these dishonest systems. I'd been raised since I was a little boy that when you go to work, you work hard. And you go to work, you go to please your boss. And I don't know if Daniel was a whistleblower, you know, on these other uh, uh, satraps, governors. Uh, but, but either way, his impeccable work ethic did not make him Uh, any friends. And so they're out to get him. But again, they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find anything in Daniel's work ethic that was suspect. This would look so good if someone, you know, if if someone, uh, uh, if you had someone on your list as a reference for you, this would sound really good. Verse four. Oh yeah. Daniel. Oh yeah. We could find no corruption in Daniel because he was, he was so trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. That would look really good. On a a resume, and and again, I want to point out that in this story, that Daniel only speaks once in the story. Okay, so so and it's near the end of the story. So he's he's quiet for most of the story, and yet I would say we need to pay attention to that because the truth is he actually is not quiet, because in this story Daniel lets his life, the way he lives his life, speak for him. Just think about that. I think this is a, a familiar saying. It's, it's much easier to talk the talk than, yeah, good, than walk the. And isn't that true? I mean, talk. What is that? Talk is cheap. Uh, Daniel, Daniel lived out his faith, and what we'll see a little later in the story because of how Daniel let his life do the talking. Uh, as the story continues, the king who we'll see has been watching Daniel. And we'll see that the king, by watching Daniel, his life, his good deeds, literally is brought to faith. He's brought to belief in God as he's observing Daniel. So let me ask, a, let me get a bit more personal. Consider this. What would people say about you? What would they say about your God or your faith based on your work ethic? Just think about that. Based on your how you, you know, your attitude at work, the way you talk, the way you, you know, do do or don't do what you're supposed to be doing. Like, just consider that. Uh, Colossians 3.22 says this, and and it starts off with the word slaves, but I'm gonna change that to employees because I think that's more, would be more applicable. Employees, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their behavior, Wait, and to curry their favor, (laughs) but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, would it make a difference to you to know that if you if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, to know that you are being watched at work, would it make a difference to you to know that God wants people to watch you at work because He knows that that's a, it's an opportunity for you to let your life speak. It's an opportunity for you to be a witness, to you know, to be a light, to point, to be a signpost pointing to Jesus. And when I say that, I don't mean like being a man or woman pleaser. Really, it's much bigger than that. It's being a being a God pleaser. When you go to work, understand that Daniel hadn't survived, uh, you know, employment under multiple administrations because he was a a people pleaser. Uh, No, he had survived and thrived because he was a God pleaser. And I believe today as we, you know, look at the story of Daniel for some here today, God wants to show you, help you to see your job, to do your job, seeing him, God, as your boss that you could actually go to work with this attitude. It is the Lord Christ that I am serving as I do do my work. Uh, I believe he wants to renew a sense of purpose in, in your place of work. And beyond what you say, your work ethic speaks so loudly as a witness to the people who are watching you, to the people, I believe, biblically, to the people who are supposed to. It's the plan, who are supposed to be watching you. So... Next, we'll move on in the story. King Darius agrees to the administrators and satraps plan, puts it in writing. And then how does Daniel respond? Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Now, I, I find this so cool to me that uh, you know Daniel hears the edict that the king has signed. Anyone who prays to anyone but me, King Darius, during this next thirty days, uh, will be thrown into the lion's den. Will be will be killed. And the way the story is written, it looks like somebody tells Daniel, "Hey, did you hear? Did you hear what the words on the street?" And Daniel went, "Oh, okay, thanks." And immediately just turned and went home and got down on his knees and prayed. Like, there's just just this sense that there is zero hesitation in Daniel. And so, and this might sound strange at first, but I'll explain it. My second point is this. In a foreign land, we live as thermostats and not thermometers. It's pretty deep. In a foreign land, we live as thermostats and not thermometers. So think about it this way, okay? A thermometer goes up and down based on the ever-changing temperature of the culture. Yeah? Whereas... A thermostat does all that it can to keep the temperature that it has been set to. Daniel's taken into captivity in a foreign land, foreign gods, foreign practices. But it's very clear that from day one, he decided with God's help that he would not be led astray by the foreign culture. He would not live like a thermometer, right? But instead, he would stay true to his faith, to the, the setting on his thermostat. Is that making sense? Will you buy my book? Okay, it's very short. So in chapter one, he and his friends say, no, we will not eat the foreign foods. In chapter three, his three friends say, no, we will not bow down to your statue. In chapter four, Daniel tells the king what God tells him to say, even though it's not a favorable message, uh, it could get him into trouble. Now in chapter six, Daniel refuses to stop praying to his God, even though it it meant death, In the lion's then, And when I look at that, I think, come on, Daniel. It would have been so easy just to stop praying for 30 days. And what I mean, not stop, but I mean, like just don't get on your knees, Daniel. Or at least close your, your silly window. Close the window so nobody can see. But Daniel, with God's help, he had an understanding of what it meant and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Long before Jesus had arrived on the scene, Daniel had an understanding of what it meant to live his life as a thermostat that had been set by God. And here's Matthew 16, 24. Here's here's God's setting. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, that's the mode right on your thermostat. And now he starts to set it. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Enter. That's that's God's setting. Daniel, with God's help, had made a decision that nothing in this world, no amount of money, no promise of protection or security was worth more to him than to obey his God. And we talk so much about Daniel living his life in, in captivity. And I would say, when I look at this, because he was, you know, living as a thermostat, I would say that Daniel really from, Daniel had lived his entire life in captivity. And I don't mean captivity to a king. Daniel had lived his life in chosen, willful captivity to God. Does that make sense? Willful captivity to God. And and just like when I was a kid driving in the family car, for Daniel, only his father, only God was allowed to touch the thermostat or to adjust the thermostat of, of his life. And one of the commentaries I read said that the great battle in this story, the pivotal sort of climactic point of this story was not the lion's den, but rather it was at the open window praying to God. Because that's where Daniel made his true decision of who he would follow. In his eyes, the king's edict was, was really meaningless compared to, to uh, his decision to follow God. And, and so how did Daniel nurture that decision? How did he keep his thermostat on the correct setting, if you will? What does the text say? Verse 10, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. And notice that phrase, just as he had done before. That tells us that this practice was a daily routine for Daniel. Daniel and his life had, had established a very well-worn path into the presence of God through prayer. He, he didn't wait till the crisis hit to start praying. And I, I think back to a talk I gave during COVID, sometime during COVID, when I asked, asked a question, something like this. Uh, if you'd known this was coming, all the craziness of that season, if you'd known this was coming, what would you have done to prepare for it? And besides buying toilet paper and investing in Zoom, uh, what would you have done to prepare yourself spiritually? Because that was a hard, very exposing season, I know in my life, and I know in many of your lives, where cracks Cracks in our faith were, were exposed. Well, you know, here we are coming to the end of a year and we don't know what changes on the horizon. Administrations will come and go. Nations will rise and fall. Issues and bills will be passed and rejected. The economy will rise and fall. The cultural temperature will rise and fall. And so I, I challenge you to start praying now. I challenge you, encourage you to continue praying now. Don't wait till the next crisis hits to try and start. Start now, establishing that well-worn path into the presence of God through prayer. And one last thing: how? Notice Daniel's posture in prayer. How does he pray? He's on his he's on his knees. You know, when I I read that, I, I just sat there and I thought, you know, we we are not a kneeling culture. That's not part of our culture. And I would really challenge that in my own life and in your life. And, you know, I, I encourage us that I think it would be, would be good for us to learn how to pray on our knees when we gather at home or when we pray at home. And I'd also love for it to be the norm here when we gather during worship. You know, when you come forward for prayer, that it would be normal to get on our knees uh, uh, and, and pray, listen to this quote, Kneeling in prayer is not a matter of indifference. It reminds you of your true position. It's as if to say, I am a servant, he is the king. I do not live in a democracy but under a monarchy. He is not my errand boy, I I never present my demands. I am always a beggar at the throne of grace and though it is a throne of grace, I never forget it is a throne. So the story continues, the men squeal on Daniel. And remind the king that this decree is irrevocable. Look at the king's response in verse fourteen. He says, When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Again, Daniel's accusers go, Well, actually, you 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 signed the document, King, and it cannot be changed. And so the king gives the order for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. And and It's really interesting, the king's final words to Daniel, again, speak to the fact that he has been watching. He's been watching Daniel uh, and, and, and just how he's lived out his faith. Look at verse 16. May your God, Daniel, whom you serve continually, I've been watching you, may he rescue you. And so Daniel's thrown into the lion's den and you'd think if I was writing a good story, I would focus on what happens to Daniel. But you notice the, the focus of the story is not on Daniel. He's just thrown into the lion's den. And then the camera, boom, it focuses really on the king. And what it really focuses on is the king's inability to help Daniel. We see that although he is, the, he is this great, great king, that he is not able to save Daniel. I think the story wants us to see how weak this great king actually is. And in a little bit, how great and powerful Daniel's God is. My third and final point, <clears throat> in a foreign land, we put our trust in God above all others. <clears throat> One of the things nurtured in Daniel's life through this daily routine of getting on his knees and praying, giving thanks to God, asking God for help, was that it, it, it set him free from the temptation to put his trust in people, right? It, it, it gave him a a proper perspective and a daily reminder of who was and who really is in charge of his life and of our world. And another thought, you know, I, um, during the 2020 election, and I say this because we're getting ready for another election year, I believe an inappropriate, unhealthy amount of trust and hope was put upon the different candidates. And I mean, no disrespect when I say that, but they are just people. And I don't believe they are worthy of such trust and hope. Would you read this scripture with me? This is Psalm 146. Let's read this together. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth the sea and everything in them, he keeps every promise forever. Oh, you're <laughs> I'm like, what are you saying? And then I realized, I okay, man, oh, man. So Daniel put his trust in God, whether he lived or whether he died, his trust and hope were in God. Story continues, verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den when he came near the den he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And again, here's where we can see the king's been watching David. Uh, You can see this this pagan king is being drawn to belief and faith uh, in, in Daniel's God. I mean, why else, think about this, why else would he have gotten up so early to run down to the lion's den to see if Daniel was still okay. If he didn't believe at some level that Daniel's God might just be able to help and rescue Daniel. So in verse 21, Daniel answered, may the king live forever. May uh, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Okay, why don't we have the worship team come on back and I'm gonna, I wanna end with a, just a thought I had as I came to the end of this story or this part of the story. Um, and I, I wonder, would the king, would we... Would we see this story differently uh, if there was no response from Daniel to the king's, uh, to the king's, you know, when the king called to him? Like, would we see this story as an epic fail if Daniel was mauled by the lions? And to that, I would say, well, maybe to us, but not to God, not to God, In a foreign land, putting our trust in God above all others means that he has the final say. He sets our thermostat. And and even if God had not chosen to save Daniel's temporary earthly life, he would have still, Daniel, would have still have been welcomed into his permanent eternal life with a loud, well done, Daniel, you did it. See, victories in the eyes of God are typically seen as failures in the eyes of God of people living in a foreign world. And I mean, you think about that. Jesus, Jesus was a failure to most of the people in his time. He was a failure. So much power, so much potential, and yet he seems to throw it all away by laying down his life on the cross. But in so doing, he, he actually won the greatest victory of all. When I look at Daniel Daniel is such an an amazing example to us. He really is a Christ-like figure. Like Jesus, he chose obedience to God over his his own life. Like Jesus, this is interesting, you you know, he only talked once. And the only time he speaks in the story was to proclaim the faithfulness of God. Like Jesus, Daniel didn't protest the injustice being done to him. Like Jesus, he was silent before his accusers. And I guess you could say Daniel's protest was his obedience to God. He let his life do the talking. And I say this, and I think why my mind went here is because if we're going to live in a foreign land, the truth is the ways of God will very often, if not mostly look foolish to the world we live in. But again, you know, we're called to live as thermostats to his setting, to the setting he's given us. And like Daniel, with God's help, you know, that's what we're we're invited to do. So why don't we stand up? We're going to go back into worship. Whoop. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.